Welcome to Life Study of the Bible with Witness Lee, a program brought to you by Living Stream Ministry. Witness Lee, a servant of the Lord for over seven decades on five continents, culminated his ministry with a 21-year, book-by-book exposition of the entire Bible, which he called a life study. This life study is the basis of our program today, which includes short portions of the spoken messages given by Witness Lee. Now, let's join today's life study. Ron Kangas is joining us again today to fellowship concerning the life study of Genesis. And Ron, as always, it's nice to have you back. It's nice to be back, and I look forward to today's subject very much. Ron, I am also. At the end of our last program, dealing with Lot, we looked briefly at Lot's wife. And now today we're going to spend an entire program focusing on her becoming a pillar of salt. Can you briefly relate this story to us before we begin? The Lord had revealed to Abraham that in his righteousness, he was about to destroy the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. On the one hand, the Lord responded to Abraham's intercession, which indirectly involved Lot. On the other hand, the Lord was steadfast to carry out his righteous judgment. In answer to Abraham's intercession, the Lord in his mercy arranged to spare Lot, his wife, and his daughters. There was reluctance on the part of Lot and his family to leave Sodom. So the angels, expressing God's mercy, took them, so to speak, by the hand and ushered them out, telling them to flee in haste. And this next part is crucial, not to look back. So objectively, Lot's wife accompanied him and the daughters and the angels out of the city. But she did not obey the word of the Lord spoken through the angelic messenger. She looked back. Her looking back indicated that subjectively she never left Sodom. Something there was dear to her, something there was drawing her back. She left outwardly, but not inwardly. As soon as she looked back, in violation of the Lord's word, she became a pillar of salt, one who was not destroyed with Sodom, nor one who was fully saved from the destruction of Sodom, but one who ended up in a situation of shame. No wonder that the Lord, centuries later, would remind us, remember Lot's wife. Thank you, Ron. Let's join Witness Lee with this life study of Genesis 19 and Lot's wife. The Lord told us that we have to remember Lot's wife. In what occasion the Lord remind us? When people were talking about the coming of the kingdom, the Lord told his disciples in a good sense, don't talk about the kingdom. You have to realize what is your age. How is your age? Your age is, number one, 
like the age of Noah. And number two, your age is like the age of Lot. And you all have to know both of those two ages concerning the age of Noah. That was a befuddled age. People in that age were drugged, using today's word, were doped. They lost their proper sins concerning the things of God. Yet, if you read Luke chapter 17, you could see when the Lord mentioned something concerning the age of Noah, he still mentioned marriage and giving to marriage. In a good sense, at that time, at the age of Noah, marriage was still not too bad. Even though the Lord didn't say it in a passive way. But when you come to the age of Lot, there was no marriage. Because in Sodom, marriage was fully damaged. No marriage. People are indulging in submedical lust. It was under this kind of occasion that the Lord told his disciple, look at Lot's wife. Remember her. Then the Lord said, at the day of my coming, when you are on the housetop, you shouldn't go down into your house to take your goods, to take your stuff. If you go to take your stuff, you will be left. Even you are in the field, working. And if I come, don't go back home to take your things, to take your belongings. You have to forget about all the things but me. Ron, it's continually amazing to me how many times in this life study of Genesis we've had a window into an age in that ancient society that so closely resembles our own today. Witness Lee used the term befuddled. What did he mean that in the age in which the Lord Jesus will return, the people will be befuddled? The word befuddled, although it's not exactly an everyday term, is exactly the right word to describe the situation here. To be befuddled is to be stupefied, to be dull in our perception due to some kind of influence. We may say someone is befuddled if he is drunken or if he is under the influence of some kind of narcotic. The point is that a befuddled person is someone who lacks a sober and clear and keen assessment of his situation. Furthermore, a befuddled person does not have the ability to assess the consequences of his or her actions. The Lord Jesus indicated, more than once actually, that the situation on the earth prior to his coming will be a time of befuddlement, 
of stupefaction, a time in which people, including believers, actually, in particular, believers, will not have a clear and sober and sound realization of the seriousness of their situation. As an example of this befuddlement, it's commonly thought that no matter how a person is living as a believer, whether he's worldly, fleshly, whether he's selfish, when it's time to be raptured, everyone will be taken regardless of their situation. This is simply not true. To teach this and to believe this is to be stupefied, to not have the proper realization that we need to be ready, we need to be watchful, we need to be exercised, we need to have a keen discernment of our generation, and we need to be intensely exercised to be one with the Lord, filled in spirit, yet clear in mind, so that at the critical moment we will not misstep as a result of misjudgment. Ron, thank you for that fellowship. Let's return to Witness Lee for more of this life study. This black record concerning such a safe person was given in the Bible as a warning example. Warning who? Surely us. But I would check with you, brothers and sisters, today, do you believe Christians are really living under this warning? I'm afraid not many. A saved person. Not a person to be saved, but a person saved already has the possibility, much possibility, to be put to shame. Nowhere in the Bible you can find the name of Lot's wife. Her name is really not worthy of mentioning. A poor sister who walked behind her husband and even looked back behind her husband. Look back at what? No doubt. Some of her children were still there. Her house was there. And maybe her some gold garments and her goods, belongings, all were there. In other words, her interest was there, and her heart was there, and her desire was there. So what? The Lord caused her to become a salt pillar as a warning to the coming ages. Shouldn't we be warned tonight? Luke chapter 14 deals with the absoluteness in our following of the Lord. We have to follow the Lord in an absolute way. The first thing must be first. The Lord Jesus got to be first. Not your parents, not your wife, not your brother, not your sister, but the Lord himself, even not your soul wife. All these are secondary. Only the Lord himself is first. First things must be first. We have to follow him in such an absolute way. Not just to believe him. Not just to worship God on Sundays. Not just at your 
pleasure to read the Bible. Not just to have a Bible study class as your hobby. As another kind of entertainment. To follow the Lord must be in the way of absoluteness. Well, Ron, this is a very strong and direct speaking by Witness Lee related to our absoluteness in following the Lord. Because many of our listeners may possibly have never heard this kind of speaking before, isn't everything we do related to the Lord something positive that God wants and appreciates? In a sense, yes. We may do many things for the Lord, and the Lord may acknowledge uh, the intent, but the Lord may not value as highly as we do whatever it is we're doing for the simple reason that what he is looking for is absoluteness in following him. We may feel like we're, we're heroes, that we deserve some kind of medal because we devote a little time or a little energy in our serving the Lord. But according to this portion in Luke 14, this will never meet the Lord's need. He needs absolute followers, those who will not allow anything or anyone to interfere with their being one with the Lord, with their living the Lord, and with their serving the Lord. So the Lord very soberly counseled us to count the cost, consider the situation, and ask ourselves, are we willing to pay the price? Then he went on to speak about salt that loses its savor and ends up in a kind of third situation. It's not good enough to be used in the field or the land, and it's not bad enough to be cast into the dunghill. So it ends up in a third place. The fact is, there are probably hundreds of thousands, if not millions of Christians, who have enough of the Lord to escape hell or the lake of fire. But they're not willing to pay the price to gain the Lord in such a way that they will follow him absolutely to be salt that has a very sharp and distinct savor. What I'm trying to say is, in effect, too many believers have compromised. They have one foot in the kingdom of God and the other foot in this age. In Luke 14, the Lord unveiled God's need for absolute followers, those who are ready to renounce everything to be one with the Lord. Yes, we are saved by grace through faith and that eternally. But how our situation will be when we meet the Lord depends on the degree of our absoluteness in following him. So in a sense, whatever we do for the Lord is positive, but it may not be positive enough. It may be lukewarm it may be half-hearted. It may be incomplete. The Lord is absolute. He needs absolute followers. And perhaps he will even use 
our fellowship in this broadcast to sound out a call for absoluteness, that he may have a people on the earth who are the overcomers to meet his need at this critical hour. Ron, these are big topics that will require much fellowship, and we just trust that in the weeks and months and years ahead, we'll have more and more opportunity to come back to these very, very crucial matters. They not only require much fellowship, they require a reassessment of the pure word of the Lord. They may require a reconsideration of traditional ideas. They may involve a much deeper meditating on what the Word is actually saying. In particular, it may involve a penetrating breakthrough of the shallowness of much of today's religion. So we need fellowship. We need earnest prayer. We need a serious study of the Word, lest we dilute it. Let's uh, rejoin Witness Lee, the conclusion of this life study, and I believe before this program's over, we're going to be challenged one more time. Thank you, Ron. Now, I just remind you, you know, in Matthew 25, the lazy, the sloppy servant, the Lord cast him into what? Cast him in the outer darkness. In the full revelation of the divine word regarding people, There are three places. One place for salvation. Another place for perdition. The third place for shame. For shame. I say again, where was Lot's wife? She was right at the place of shame. She was not destroyed, right? She was not lost. She was saved. Saved, yet she became a shame in the third place. This is the divine light. If we follow him in the way, abiding in him all the time, according to the inward anointing, I tell you, we will have peace, boldness, assurance, and confidence, and we will be brought into his parousia. His presence. If not, we will be put to shame. Away from him. In that period of his parousia, we will be put to shame. Away from him. He's serious, brother. Don't you think this is the third place? To be put to shame away from him. That is to be in the third place. Neither in the field, nor in the dunghill. Neither in the coming kingdom, which will be the real field for fulfilling God's purpose. Now in the dunghill, in the lake fair. But outside of his Prussia, outside of his presence, that is a place of shame. That doesn't mean such a person will be lost. No. Still a safe person. But he has to suffer the shame. Because this kind of shame is a real dealing. It's a kind of discipline, chastisement, exercised by the sovereign Lord over his defeated followers. 
Ron, we've opened up a matter that no doubt will be interesting, to say the least, for a good number of our Christian brothers and sisters related to a third place or destination at the conclusion of this age. We all agree that there's a place for the unbelievers, and of course we all receive the promise of our salvation to be eternally with the Lord. But what about this third place of shame that Witness Lee introduced for the defeated ones? Ultimately, there are but two eternal destinies. The lake of fire for the unbelievers, the new Jerusalem for the believers. Our salvation, which is by grace through faith, is secure eternally. So we know that ultimately we will be in the first place, the new Jerusalem, not the second place, the lake of fire. But let us not leap into eternity so quickly. There is still the matter of what our situation will be when we meet the Lord. How will he assess us at the judgment seat, at which time we will be examined not only for possible reward, but also for possible dispensational punishment. This word about a third place, which admittedly and regretfully we cannot cover in full now, concerns the matter of reward or discipline. It concerns whether or not we will be judged worthy to reign with Christ in the coming kingdom. In other words, will we end up a pillar of salt, so to speak, not in Sodom under judgment, neither fully and absolutely saved from this generation? Using the metaphor of the salt, we may not be fit for the land. And surely, because we're saved, we're not fit for the dunghill. But there is somehow a third condition produced by compromise and a love of the world. We need to ask ourselves, especially if we are those who believe in the rapture of the believers, yes, the Lord is able and we are willing for him to take us out of the world, but are we willing for him to take the world out of us, especially the love of the world out of us? Christians may be shocked to realize that at that critical time of rapture, many will look back because they are still attached to something or someone that in their heart is more important to them than the Lord himself. They will not lose their salvation, neither will they be rewarded by the Lord. But in principle, for a period of time, they will be in a third place until they also become intrinsically absolute and are fully transformed and gained by the Lord and therefore able to enjoy him and to serve him as part of the new Jerusalem in eternity. I'm very much aware this fellowship is brief and inadequate. I would beg the listener Please read the New Testament again. 
What is the Lord saying? What does the Lord need? Let us not be befuddled. Let us wake up and grow up and follow the Lord absolutely in the midst of this crooked and perverse generation. In the Lord's own words, let us all remember Lot's wife. Ron, thank you for your fellowship today. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to share what's on my heart. We look forward to your next time with us. Me too. You have been listening to the Life Study of Genesis with Witness Lee. If you would like more information about this program, then please call 1-888-LIFE-STUDY. That's 888-543-3788. Or write to Living Stream Ministry, Post Office Box 2121, Anaheim, California, 92814. You can also send us email at radio at lsm.org. For a free download of this program, or to find more information, visit us online at lsm.org. If you've enjoyed what you've heard from this Life Study of Genesis, then we encourage you to freely distribute this program. It's available in MP3 format. Again, it can be downloaded from lsm.org free of charge.